Welcome back to Fireside, a podcast from FS Investments. My name is Kara O'Halloran. I'm a director on our investment research team here. And it is the most wonderful time of the year. And I'm not talking about the holiday season. November and December may mean Thanksgiving and the start of the holidays to most people. But for anyone working in financial markets, it is year ahead outlook time. Here at FS, we have plenty of content coming your way to keep you all busy for the rest of the year and get you prepped for 2022. And I am so excited to kick things off with what is always one of my favorite pieces of the year and our clients' favorite pieces as well, our chief economist, Laura Rames, 10 for 22, so her top 10 calls for next year. Laura is here with me today to walk through what she is closely watching for 2022. Laura, welcome. Thank you. Is it already that time of year? It's just snuck up on me. I know we say it every year. You know, I can't believe it's the end of the year. But really this year, I can't believe it's the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's crazy. You know, I think about 2021, we started in lockdowns. We had the vaccines. You had this vaccine euphoria and the reopening. And then Delta came and Omicron. And maybe we'll learn how to say that in 2022. Right. Supply chain disruption. Yeah, exactly. You know, we still had strong economic growth and markets are still making all-time highs. They're trading near all-time highs today. Um, But interest rates haven't gone anywhere. Exactly. They're pretty much back where they were at the beginning of the year. Yep, but they they big topic of conversation still. And, you know, commodities had a big run for a while. Uh, there was no shortage of things to talk about last year. It was a good time to launch a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that that must be why it seems like but, we're just right here again thinking about the, exactly. The coming year. But I think we can all agree that there was one topic that dominated everything. You can guess it: inflation. Yes. So, Laura, I think the big question is: Are we going to be talking about inflation this much next year? At least for the first half of the year, I absolutely think that they will be. And that's really because inflation, I now sort of uh, divide into three key drivers. One are those reopening stocks. That's really what pushed inflation up in the beginning of 2021. I mean, reopening categories. You know, when you have an 80% decline in airline tickets, even if they rise sort of a small amount, it looks like a tremendous inflationary year on your gain. That's really what we kind of got in the second quarter of 2021. But now we're seeing inflation coming from um, this huge demand shift into goods, which has collided with supply chain disruption, right? So higher demand, lower supply has meant really increasing uh, prices. And then wage pressure is clearly causing uh, the cost of services to rise for households. So, um, All of these things continue to bubble up, um, as well as big question marks on the commodity front. And all of that means that even if we get some of these drivers of inflation moderating in the beginning of the year, we're still going to be seeing these 6%, maybe even 7% year-on-year inflation rates over the first quarter. So, you know, headlines that really we have not experienced since the 1980s. Wow. And so what is your kind of end of year forecast for inflation? What do you think about after the first half of the year? Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at some things which have really, you know, energy, oil prices doubling over the course of 2021. Drove right now is driving about a third of our year-on-year inflationary gain. And when we think about, you know, where oil prices are going, they're even in November. And right now where we sit in December, they're already off significantly those peaks. You know, with global growth forecasts where they are, 
it's likely that energy prices will continue to come down and at least moderate. So this is a good example of things that I think towards the end of the year will start to bring inflation back down from these acute levels, but we may still be around 3%, for example. That's significantly higher than we were before the pandemic. So, you know, end of 2022 forecast is for the fourth quarter to see inflation of 3% year on year, but that is still about a percent higher than the 2% we were seeing before the pandemic started. It's, it's, it's bigger, it's, it's more impactful than it sounds. Absolutely. I mean, we, we've talked about on this podcast before just how detrimental to portfolios, just that, you know, what doesn't sound like a lot of inflation, especially when we're seeing, you know, numbers over six, like you said, maybe even over seven. And so 3% really still can have a big impact on portfolios on both the equity side and the bond side on the relationship between the two. Um, so, you know, I think even as inflation, if it starts to leave the headlines a little bit or if it's not as dominant in the headlines, really important to remember that it is still impacting everything or portfolios, I should say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's exactly right. And you think about everything from, you know, real wage gains, right? That is going to also continue to really, um, you know, I think be a, a, a really significant focus in the coming year. Um, the fact that in higher inflation is impacting consumer sentiment. We have different measures of consumer sentiment. Some are more sensitive to inflation, but those measures show consumer sentiment lower now than at any point during the pandemic. So it's not like we're just robots thinking about inflation in terms of our finances. Inflation, especially when it's coming from food and energy, is something that impacts every single household. Yeah. And it will, I think, have economic impact well beyond just whatever year and your price level you're thinking of. Right. So it's hard to talk about inflation without then bringing up the Fed, which I think probably takes, mm -hmm. you know, spot number two in terms of mm -hmm. what we've been really closely watching and really talking about for the last year. Um, the Fed has started to taper their asset purchases. We heard from, we're recording on December 9th, so we heard from Chair Powell last week. We may have even up, you know, by the time this episode comes out, may have, you know, heard from him again, but the Fed is considering accelerating the timing of their taper, um, which many in markets took to mean that rate hikes could be coming sooner than anticipated. You think right now we're kind of oscillating between pricing in two and three rate hikes next year, which... Thinking back to the summer, thinking back to August, I think markets were thinking maybe one rate hike. So things really, really changed quickly there. Um, so what are you thinking the Fed is going to do next year? So um, my expectation is the Fed will raise rates twice next year. And that is a little lower, to your point, than what markets are pricing in, which, you know, ebbs and flows with data. But right now is very close to three rate hikes next year. And I would say five rate hikes over the next two years. So, you know, markets, I think, really expect the Fed not only to raise rates, but to get traction and uh, really embark on a more um, lengthy rate hike cycle. I think when I think about the, you know, step one, right, which is the taper, the Fed has worked to speed this up because I think they want to have maximum flexibility. And I think it's a mistake to assume that just because they want to get the taper over faster, they necessarily want to raise rates, you know, at the next meeting. Um, by that, I mean, if the taper now is expected to end in 
March and just for everybody out there listening, you know, with the pandemic, the Fed engaged in quantitative easing. They purchased a lot of assets as a way to further support the economy when rates are at zero. Um, and they're withdrawing that additional, you know, quantitative or monetary support to financial markets in the economy. So, you know, this next step after that is to would be to raise rates if they want to continue to um, tighten monetary conditions, tighten economic conditions, lower demand, and get ahead of inflation. And I think the final word for me is that we need to realize that the Fed should will probably not go on autopilot in the same way that we have seen in past cycles. The economic outlook is still uncertain enough, and inflation is coming from places like supply chain disruptions, as an example, that won't necessarily be fixed by raising rates or slowing down demand. So all that's to say, um, you know, outlook is for two rate hikes, but we still need to um, listen for signals about timing and um, be proactive about not assuming anything's on autopilot. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. So you know, often when people think about a, a Fed rate hike or a rate hike cycle, they kind of instantly assume that the long end of the yield curve is also going to increase, that long-term rates are going to rise. Obviously, the Fed is controlling the short-term rates. Um, but I think you have different data shows us uh, something different. So, Laura, what, what are your thoughts on long-term interest rates next year, given your outlook for two Fed rate hikes? Yes, I, I refer to this as the myth-busting segment. <laughs> we had an episode of on that. The, we love myth-busting here on the Fireside Podcast. <laughs> the myth-busting portion of our podcast today. I love it. Which is <laughs> it's that, our new segment. <laughs> which is that um, I often hear people talk about the Fed raising rates and won't, you know, long-term interest rates start going up. And um, exactly to your point, um, long-term interest rates often kind of stay where they are. And we've, you know, long-term rates have been really range-bound for the past year. Um, and that was our expectation a year ago. And looking ahead, I think we're still in a very sort of sideways pattern there. And Fed rate hikes will not change that. I expect, um, you know, we wrote a lot about how when inflation is higher, it doesn't necessarily mean long rates will rise. Similarly, when the Fed raises short-term interest rates or the Fed funds rate, it does not necessarily mean that long-term rates will rise. And in fact, um, they almost always stay, um, you know, flat to uh, to even lower slightly. My personal expectation is for rates in the first half of next year, the 10-year to stay between one and a half and two. And we could uh, see rates in the second half of next year from two to two and a half. And interestingly, that is not probably coming from Fed rate hikes. It's maybe coming from the fact that China right now is actually uh, easing monetary policy to stimulate their economy. I, I think that actually might be one of the factors that raises U.S. interest rates. Walk me through that dynamic. That may seem like it came out of left field, but <laughs> <laughs> but bear with me. Um, you know, globally, interest rates are so low. And in the developed world, yield curves are flat to negative or inverted um, in the first part of the yield curve. So you really have had a situation now for several years where global growth, and I think we can all agree that 
how goes China goes the rest as goes China, so goes the rest of global growth to a very significant degree. Um, ends up being reflected in the U.S. the U.S. yield curve, and there's actually a fabulous graph that's one of my favorites that I've included in the ten for twenty two that shows that Chinese monetary um, stimulus. Uh, is a great leading indicator of the U.S. 10-year yield. And so we saw that in the middle of last year when China tightened rates, U.S. yields actually uh, fell on the back of that over time. Um, That ended up coming to fruition. I think we may very well see that uh, reverse course as the U.S. and Chinese uh, monetary cycles continue to diverge. It's so interesting. Um, and, and not something that I think we often talk about, um, no. or I, I hear talk about often. So, so speaking of growth, we talked about global growth a little bit. Let's kind of refocus on U.S. growth for next year. Um, headline: What are you thinking for 2022? So, 2022, I think we get growth around three percent for the full year. Remember, you know, 2020 was like the worst year for growth, <laughs> and 2021 was the best year, and now we sort of end up muddling in the middle. Um, and I think by the end of 2022, we may, we may end up with growth. My expectation is to find ourselves back around 2% GDP in the third and fourth quarter of next year, similar to where we were uh, before the pandemic. And um, I think, you know, we, we get there because um, for households, um, income growth starts looking an awful lot like wage growth. And we really need to remember that while we may see companies reporting higher nominal sales or nominal revenue, um, that is one of the problems with inflation. Nominal growth looks very different from real growth. Right. And not something that we've had to differentiate much, you know, yeah. over the last It takes decades. <laughs> different mental gymnastics when you're right. adding up growth. Right. Yep. So, okay. So I want to talk, I want to go even more macro, you know, Mac, take a macro view of the of the macro economy, if you will. <laughs> but, you know, we talked about things that you're watching closely, and we talked about inflation and the Fed and growth. But I kind of want to know what are, you know, more broadly, what are some of the headwinds and tailwinds that you see that could kind of impact all of this or any of this? Sure. Um, well, and that's important to think about because we still have really opposing forces pulling on our economy. And you do kind of end up with this tug of war, which is why I'm going with that sort of like middle ground mm-hmm. muddling through concept for growth of next year. Um, we have the really powerful gravitational pull of our potential growth, right? Of weak labor force growth. When we think about our economy and the fact that we've recovered a lot from the pandemic, but what are we still missing? It's the recovery in services. Those are the jobs that are missing. Um, but those jobs are some of the lowest productivity jobs out there. So if we bring all those jobs back, it's actually um, could imply some fairly weak productivity growth next year. And I think that's the gravitational pull that ends up um, maybe not as an exact headwind, but certainly um, can cause our momentum to really flag. But on the other side, um, you know, you still have a, a healthy household sector. You have a strong household balance sheet. I think there is room for households to lever up there. Um, that could help offset some of the 
you know, dwindling savings from the really massive fiscal stimulus that we got through, you know, end of 2020 and, and early 2021. So, you know, consumer confidence remains really critical to watch. Um, but I think as the year progresses, we go from growth of around 4% more towards growth around 2%. All right, so let's let's wrap it up with a rapid fire round. Okay, Got it. <laughs> quick answers. Um, what is your highest conviction idea? That I think interest rates are gonna are gonna stay where they are. Okay, bear flattening. What did you want to put on your outlook that you left off? Oh, that's a tough one because <laughs> I was already fighting for space. I mean, it's really tough. Um, I think you know I didn't mention the midterm elections and all the policy uncertainty that brings, um, tax policy, trade policy. Um, I didn't mention the residential housing market, which has been on fire uh, throughout the pandemic, mm-hmm. starting to cool, but Fed's raising rates. You know, really makes you wonder where that's sort of if it just comes to a gradual decline or something more abrupt. Okay, what's the sleeper hit that we're going to talk about next year that's not inflation? Mm. I think the focus towards the end of next year really turns back on growth and productivity. Um, Yeah. How far behind are you on your Christmas shopping? (laughs) (laughs) Here's the problem. I started. (laughs) Here's the problem. My family, me, my husband, and one of my daughters, we all have birthdays right around the holidays. So it's not just holiday shopping it's birthday shopping as well i mean it's it's double duty yeah, you got a you got a twofer there <laughs> well brutal on that i will let you go so that you can go <laughs> go hit the stores <laughs> good luck to us yeah right <laughs> uh, well laura thank you so much for joining me as always um your chart book the 10 for 22 is available along with the rest of our 2022 outlook content on fsinvestments.com um and very excited to bring you back in 2022 to to start it all over again. <laughs> Absolutely. Look forward to it. Right, thanks. This podcast is brought to you by FS Investments. If you found this helpful, subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they're available.